Good morning. We are going to be in Exodus chapter 7 this morning, uh, verses 1 through 13. And so I'm just going to begin by reading that to you. The Lord answered Moses, See, I have made you like a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. You must say whatever I command you. Then Aaron, your brother, must declare it to Pharaoh, so that he will let the Israelites go from his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand into Egypt and bring the Israelite uh, into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from amongst them. So Moses and Aaron did this. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 uh, when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh tells you, perform a miracle, tell Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. It will become a serpent. So Moses did, and Aaron went into Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. But then Pharaoh called the wise men and sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, and they also did the same thing by their occult practices. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a serpent. But Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. However, Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Uh, this is, um, uh, in a lot of ways, a difficult passage. And so it uh, deals with, in a lot of ways, kind of difficult things. Sometimes the inclination might be then to, uh, to avoid a difficult passage or soften a difficult passage. Uh, what I, I think we're going to be committed to this morning is we are not going to be uh, embarrassed by or ashamed of uh, the things that Scripture is not embarrassed by or, or ashamed of. So we're going, to, we're going to talk through and teach through what, what this passage is. Uh, it teaches and, and what it reveals about God. But there, there is some difficulty, and we'll, we'll try and uh, work, work through that. Uh, the difficulty here lies uh, in, in uh, what is a, natural, a very natural, very human reaction to anything we read to import uh, into our own culture, our own time, and our own thinking to anything we read. Uh, it's also in our tendency to, to, to view uh, humankind through, through our own lenses and typically to view humankind through our own view of, our, of ourselves. And so we're going to get into that uh, in a minute, but let me just remind you, uh, chapter 5, chapter 6, uh, even going back to chapter 4, the children of Israel are, are being oppressed, uh, they're begging uh, to be set free. Uh, Moses asked Pharaoh to, to set them free. Uh, Pharaoh says no. In fact, he begins to oppress them more and more. Things go from, from, from bad, bad to worse. God promises them, them freedom uh, in, uh, 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 in chapter 6. And then chapter 7 uh, begins with, with this, uh, this statement. The Lord answered Moses. See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be the prophet. You must say whatever I command you. Remember chapter 6 ended with Moses going, how can it be? What can I do? I'm not a good speaker. I can't go. So God says, hey, you're going to go. You go be the representative. I'll send, uh, I'll send Aaron to, to talk for you. What do they do? They go 
uh, and they go to um, verse 2. You must say whatever I command you. Aaron, your brother, must declare it to Pharaoh, so you will let the Israelites go from his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. That's the first difficult statement. We'll deal with it in just a minute. But he says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And then he says, Pharaoh will not listen. I will put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring them out uh, and the Israelites out from amongst them. So, the, the difficulty we have here from, from a human uh, perspective and from a human way of, way of thinking is, is when God says to Moses, you go tell Pharaoh what I say. You go tell Pharaoh what I'm going to do. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Tell him who I am. But I am going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And so what we get into here is something that goes up against our, our natural uh, proclivity, our natural thinking of, of what we might call, uh, what, what might be called free will, although that's probably not the best use of it in this term, but against our natural inclination to think that we are self-directed, our natural inclination to think that, that we as humans are completely and totally in control of whatever happens next, to think that we are, um, we are, we are taught largely that we are the, the directors of our, our own universe, we are the strivers for our own dreams. These kinds of things are, are built into us, and so it is natural for us to think in relationship and to think of ourselves as, as the ones who are in control of everything. And in fact, we like to think of ourselves from a position of, of, of control. We especially like to think of ourselves in a position of control as, as relates to, to God and our relationship with God. And we don't like when we read, when God says, hey, I'm going to take Pharaoh, go tell Pharaoh what I say, but I'm going to harden his, his heart. And so I want to jump ahead for a minute to, to Romans, read to you from, from Romans chapter 9, and then come back to, uh, uh, back to that idea. And so Romans chapter 9 at verse 14 says this, What should we say then? Is the injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show Mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells, Pharaoh I raised up for this reason, so that I may display my power in you, that my name may be proclaimed in the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens those whom he wants to harden. So, Here's, here's what I think is, is difficult from just a looking at the passage. Our normal human sort of inclination or approach to, to a passage has the idea that, 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 that God speaks. And when God speaks, we look at it and go, well, that doesn't seem fair. And fair is an interesting word. It, we look at it and we go, it doesn't seem fair that God would harden Pharaoh's heart. It doesn't seem fair that God is going to do that, that God might harden. That, that doesn't seem right. Well, and we get in our head because we have a human orientation to the practice, to, 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 uh, to the passage and to our reading and to how we interpret things. We go, well, poor Pharaoh. And we start to then sympathize with Pharaoh and think, oh, isn't it awful? Pharaoh's being hardened. And so 
that's, that's a difficulty, and I will, I will be honest with you, even now some of you are probably having difficulty with, with the way this is being laid out because you're worried about the direction in which it, it's going because we are not used to, uh, in our, our way of thinking, in a human way of thinking, talking like this or pointing out. I pointed out to you, first off, to say what I said from the beginning, we will not be ashamed of what the Bible is not ashamed of. God clearly says, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy on. I'll do what I said to you from the beginning, that God does what he wants. He's, he's God, and in this case, he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy on. We will not be ashamed of that because God is not ashamed of that. And so back in, in, in the passage here, he says, go and tell Pharaoh, but I'm going to harden Pharaoh. Verse four, you're gonna, or verse three, you're going to do signs and wonders, but I'll harden him. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand into Egypt. So Pharaoh isn't going to listen. Skipping down to the end of that, that passage in, uh, in chapter six, verse 13. However, Pharaoh's heart was hard and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. So I think we need to do a little, some brief theological work to, to, um, to help us understand the passage. And then we'll come back to the passage and apply it directly. So here's, here's what I think we, we need to come to grips with. There's, there's actually several, several things. Some people, uh, some people who, who, uh, who are around the Bible or around, around churches might recognize in, uh, in, in this passage elements of, of, of what we might theologically call election. Uh, we, they might uh, recognize this as a, as a teaching about, about, about God's sovereignty these things have been divisive in, uh, in the church for, uh, for honestly, a, a lot of years. And so what to do with them, my, my take on that is you, you approach and you preach Scripture as Scripture is. You teach Scripture as, as it is. And so some people might recognize in the fact that God says, I'm going to, I'm going to harden Pharaoh. I'm going to make it so I'm going to display my glory. Pharaoh won't believe. They might recognize that as sort of the flip side of election. So some people get uncomfortable with it. Election is simply this idea that God chooses for himself his people. So let's go to Roman, that Romans passage and, and point that out for a minute. And so we would, as a congregation, acknowledge or say that we believe, one of our, our core beliefs is that God is the one who divinely elects or selects those whom will be his. In the Romans passage, God himself says it like this, I have mercy upon those whom I will have mercy so we believe that this idea, this current is going through Scripture consistently, that God is in the business of choosing for himself a people. Some people are uncomfortable with that. I would simply point out this, is that it, it seems to be a strain all throughout Scripture. So God chooses Abraham. He goes, chooses Abraham. We see it when God chooses Moses. We see it when God chooses Israel. Uh, we see it in the salvation of, of the Apostle Paul, the writer of the majority of the, uh, of the New Testament. We see the Apostle Paul, when he comes to God, how does the Apostle Paul come to God? Well, he's riding his horse down the street with the intention uh, of, of, of going to the next place so that he can persecute followers of Jesus. He's on his horse, just riding, doing his thing, and all of a sudden, uh, 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 he gets knocked off 
off his animal, and he hears a voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul replies, you, Lord. And and the the voice from heaven says, my name is Jesus Christ. I'm the one that you're persecuting. Uh, I know that you did that before, but you're not a persecutor anymore. You work for me now. Go to this place, find this person, he'll tell you what to do, but you work for me now. We see in that the, the divine election or the selection of Paul, Paul Saul. In other words, uh, Saul was not out there riding his horse uh, down the road being a spiritual seeker. He was not riding his horse down the road thinking, should I make a decision uh, to, follow, to follow this? He wasn't doing any of that. He was, in fact, an enemy uh, of God. And, and, and what happened was he gets knocked onto his, his behind and told, you follow me now. And so it is a common theme throughout scripture that God would, would choose. He chooses Abraham. He chooses Moses. He chooses Israel. He chooses uh, his disciples. He chooses, uh, he chooses Paul. He, that, that choice happens throughout all scripture. And so we unashamedly acknowledge, acknowledge that, that choice. The reality, though, is that most of us have less problem with, with that choice than we do with what's happening in our passage. Because in those passages, the people are being chosen chosen to be, to, be, uh, to be in relationship or in friendship with, with God. And so when Abraham is called, he, he's called and put into covenant with God. I will make your descendants as many as the, the stars. I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth for you. Abraham is put into that. Moses, when, he, when he's called, even though Moses is constantly trying to sort of get out of his calling, he says, no, you go to talk to Pharaoh. But he's put into relationship with God and told to go uh, do, do his will. Uh, Israel Israel, even though they constantly fall, constantly fall, constantly do wrong, Israel is chosen to be put into relationship with God. Paul's chosen to be put into, into I should say, right standing or good relationship with, with God. Same with Paul, even though Paul is in the, is in the process of, creating, uh, of, uh, of committing a crime against the people of God, God knocks him off his animal and says, you work for me. He's put into right relationship with God from that point on. We have last problem. Problem with, with that. The reason we have less problem with that is because we have a tendency to view uh, to view humans uh, in a way uh, that is that is of a sunnier disposition than humans should be should be viewed. And so, so we have less problem with that. But we have more problem in this case where he says, Pharaoh, you're being chosen. You're being chosen by God too. But you're being chosen for a hardening. And I'm still going to display my glory, and I'm still going to do what I do, and I'm still going to show what I do. But Pharaoh, you're not being chosen to be put into a right relationship with God. That's what we get uncomfortable with. That's what we don't, we don't like. And I get that from a, from a human perspective. And so what of that? Here's why in Romans, God says, I'll have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. It's telling to me, he doesn't say, I will judge whom I will judge. He doesn't start from the perspective of judgment. He starts from the perspective of mercy. He says, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. Why? Because he is the God of the universe, and there is the basic understanding that everybody, apart from his choosing them to be in right relationship with him, is already under judgment. 
So his divine choice is this, is, the, is to show mercy and put people into right relationship with him or to not show mercy and to leave people in broken relationship with him. So let me, let me uh, explain to you then the state of humankind. We've talked a million times before. You know that Adam and Eve fall into sin. They decide that they want to be God instead of wanting to be followers of God. They decide they want the position of God instead of, instead of uh, uh, what relationship with God brings. When they do that, when they eat from the tree, it plunges all of humankind into brokenness. This is sometimes in, in theology called original sin. It is, it is the first sin, but the result of that first sin is it plunges all of humankind, you, me, and everybody sitting everywhere around you, into sin. It plunges us into a place where we are broken, where we are fallen, and, and where we are apart from God. And so often when we start to read about what God is doing and we start to think about how we relate to God, we think of ourselves in a neutral position. In other words, we were neutral we were neither for nor against God, and, and God, through various things, he did some things, we decided that we wanted to make a choice to move more towards God. And so in that, in that, that example, we're just neutral. We were neither good nor bad. We got to choose. The problem is that's not the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture is there is no neutrality. The Scripture teaches for all of sin and fallen short of God's glorious ideal. The, the scripture teaches again and again and again that uh, um, uh, in, in, in John, Jesus says, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. All over scripture, it teaches this reality that there is a brokenness about us that is not neutral. And so we have a tendency to think of humankind from a neutral position, or if not neutral, a pretty good position. And so when we hear that some people are shown mercy and other people are not shown mercy, we think, well, what about all those people, those pretty good people who really want to follow Jesus, but now they can't. The problem is, is that we are positing a scenario that does not exist. So we need to deal with and grapple with this reality is that the idea that there is somewhere out there a good man or a good woman who is deserving of salvation, who doesn't get it, that that is a falsehood. In fact, the universal teaching of scripture that there's only been one good man his name was Jesus Christ. He is the effector and the carrier out of our salvation. But there are none righteous. We are not good. The scripture says this. I always remind people this verse. There, uh, it says that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. I want to point that out to you because it does not say all the bad things you do is as refuse. All the bad things you do is as trash. All the bad things you do is offensive to God. It says all our righteousness. In other words, all in our humanity, even all the good things we try to do are broken, fallen, and destroyed. And so this idea in scripture might be called the idea of total depravity. And total depravity simply means this. You are probably not as evil as you could be, but you have no, in you, no natural or innate ability to choose or to follow or to do right. Or no ability, for instance, to, to bring about your own, own salvation. You are from birth and by choice because you are a descendant of Adam and because you are a human. You are born into sin. Uh, in, uh, in the Psalms, David says, for I was conceived in sin from my mother's womb 
right? You and I are sinful. So what I'm trying to point out to you, I don't want to have to go on and on and describe to you all the evils that you could open up your newspaper. You could, uh, uh, that's a euphemism, obviously, at this point. I don't want to have to point out to you all the evils that you could take your, take your cell phone, swipe that direction, and read the news articles right there on your cell phone for you. I don't want to have to do that, but if you've read the internet, if you've read anything that's going on, I don't want to have to explain to you how dark the days are, right? We've had school shootings. We've had at Central Michigan just this week, uh, a young man killed both of his, his parents. We've had horrific things. We, we've had all of these things happen. And the problem is, is that most of us, as we read through, through Scripture, we tend to view ourselves in the place of the victim instead of the victimizer. And yet the reality is this, is that in our heads, we think, well, yeah, there's those really, 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 really bad people. And thank goodness I'm not as bad as them. The problem is, is that when you use Hitler or something like that as your standard for what is right and good, you start to think, well, I could, I could probably choose. I could probably be in a real... We think of ourselves as morally neutral, or at least morally better than people like Hitler, Stalin, and all these other people in history. The problem is we have compared ourselves as humans to people like Hitler, to people like this, and the reality is is this, is that we are typically, and you need to understand this if you were to be honest with yourself about the state of your heart, you are much more Hitler than you are the actual standard. And the actual standard is indeed not Hitler or anyone like that. The standard is Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ is the standard from, from, a, from, a, from a biblical perspective and a life perspective, you have to ask yourself, am I as holy and righteous as Jesus. If so, I have good news for you. You do not need Jesus' sacrifice even, and you do not need God's sovereign election of you. You can be your own savior. And yet, we all know that we do not meet that standard. We are not Jesus. And so from a human perspective, we want, to, we want to associate ourselves with the good guys. But from an honest perspective, we are all the bad guy. I'm sinful. You're sinful. The person next to you is sinful. Your children are sinful. Your parents are sinful. Every direction you look, if you're looking at humanity and that human's name is not Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, then all of them are evil. All of them are sinful. All of them are broken. Now then, what, what's the point here? So then our head, if we start to understand that we are not the victim, but we are the victimizer, then it starts to change things around a little bit. Understand this then. The idea is, is that you, in relationship with God, are not neutral. You are his enemy. You, in relationship to God, are not standing trying to decide whether you will follow him or not. You are hateful of him. You despise him. That is in you, whether you even realize that or not. You were born with a proclivity and a propensity to sin. You were conceived that way. You do evil, and you did not want God. So, this idea, this false understanding of, of things sometimes becomes when we talk about election is that there are there are untold masses of people out there who desperately want nothing more than to follow Jesus they desperately want nothing more than to be in a relationship with God but God in heaven is looking at these people who are clamoring for him and saying no I don't choose you 
That is a wrong, wrong understanding. There is nobody who wants Jesus who does not get the fullness of Jesus. There is no one who wants God who does not get the fullness of God. But the reality is this, is that you and I, if we know him, it is not because we, we, we were pursuing him. It's not because we were neutral. It's not because we were pretty good. It's not because we were a top 10 draft pick. It's not because he read our resume. It's not because he looked at, at, our, at our Facebook page. It's not because of any of those things. God in his mercy and his goodness has chosen to have mercy on us because of his mercy he has rescued us but he did not rescue us as people standing at the edge clamoring for him he rescued us us as people who had just chucked a grenade at him and were running away and your rescue by God was not when you were running towards him but it was when you were double flipping him off running away cussing him and hating him as you chucked a grenade and he grabbed you by the nape of your neck or to the back of your your shirt and he dragged your behind back to him so that you might know him and that he might know you. Your rescue by God is not do you, but 100% and fully do him. You are not a person who is, who is gently and serenely seeking him and you found him and he said, you're pretty good, I'll take you. You were a spiritual Hitler, Hateful of all that God was. Hateful of all that God has done. Jealous of his position. Wanting of his place. Wishing that you could be God. Wishing that you could be in charge. Wishing that you could do whatever you want. And God in his goodness, after you chucked the grenade into the camp of his kingdom and tried to run, reached out his sovereign glorious hand, snatched you back from the hell you were running towards and pulled you into his embrace through the person of Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand, you are much more Hitler than you will ever be Jesus apart from that sovereign act of Jesus. So then what do we understand? We understand this, is that all of humankind is not rushing to God, it's rushing from God. The Puritans have a saying that's actually going to be very helpful for us as we jump back to this text. The Puritans said this, the same sun that softens the butter hardens the clay. The same sun that softens the butter hardens the clay. So what is God doing here with Pharaoh? Well, see, God's displaying his glory to Pharaoh. God's displaying his glory. God's just showing him who he is in his wonder, in his goodness, in his amazingness, in all that he has, in his, his orchestration of the universe, in his ability to speak through Moses, in his ability to throw down the, 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 the serpents, and the magicians trying to imitate it, but God's serpents swallowed them up. God, in doing all of these miracles, what is he doing? He's displaying his glory to Pharaoh. What happens then at the display of, of God's glory is this. For those of us who have been snatched back from hell by the mercy of Jesus, by the mercy of Jesus, get dragged back in God's glory revealed to us in Jesus, makes us followers of Jesus so that we can be rescued from sin, death, and hell through Jesus so that applied to our life can be the righteousness of Jesus so that one day we might spend eternity in the presence of God worshiping Jesus. But... For those 
For those who see the glory of God lifted up, who are not being softened like butter, some are just being hardened like clay. And so God displays his glory through Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh looks at what God has done. And instead of being softened, he's hardened. It is the same display, though. I want you to understand that, the, that God doesn't have a new display. God doesn't, God's not like, I'm going to scare Pharaoh. God's not acting as a cosmic boogeyman. Rather, God is just displaying his glory. And for those who would come to, to him, for those whom he has shown his mercy, that display, that glory draws us. But in Pharaoh's case, it hardens him. Pharaoh sees God's glory and it makes him angry. Why? Because the same sin from the first sin in Scripture to the end of time. Pharaoh does not want to worship God. He wants to be God. And he sees God's actions. And he sees God's activities. And he sees all that God has done. Pharaoh could have seen God's love for, his, for, his, for the children of Israel and understood that God was loving. Pharaoh could have seen God's miracles and understood that God was powerful. But the, the, the display of God's glory in Pharaoh's heart confirmed or affirmed him in his rebellion, in his hatred, in his despising of God. And God said, this is my glory. I lift up my glory and Pharaoh sees the glory of God and instead of making his heart soft to the glorious one it made his heart jealous and angry at the glory of one who was not himself so understand here then this is that God is under no obligation to offer mercy to anyone and that certainly includes Pharaoh. Pharaoh's doing what? He's oppressing God's people. Pharaoh's doing what? He's trying to work God's people into, into death. Pharaoh's doing what? He, he's, he's, he's out here just trying to destroy a whole community. Pharaoh's doing what? He's breathing hatred towards God. Pharaoh's doing what? He's breathing his, his, his despising of God. God's under no no uh, compulsion, no, nothing could force him. We've told you before, he does what he wants. God does not have to offer his mercy to Pharaoh. And for Pharaoh, his bad news is good news to him because Pharaoh does not want God's mercy. Pharaoh did not desire God's mercy. Pharaoh is hateful of all of those things. All God has done in lifting himself up is affirmed and confirmed in Pharaoh exactly what Pharaoh has wanted and does want. Do not be under the delusion that somehow Pharaoh is not getting exactly what he wants. Pharaoh does not want God. Pharaoh does not want to come to God. Pharaoh is not, is not tender towards this. Pharaoh wants to be God, not worship him. Pharaoh wants his own people, not relationship with the people of God. Pharaoh wants to curse God, not praise him. Pharaoh wants to destroy God, not exalt him. Pharaoh is not standing in the middle, and God is going, I know you want me, but nah, 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 you can't have me. Rather, Pharaoh is actively, aggressively opposing the God of the universe and fighting against him, trying to destroy him, trying to wipe him. That's Pharaoh. And God says, here's my glory. And Pharaoh, in response to seeing the glory of God, instead of his heart being softened like butter, it's hardened like clay. And he is, he is, uh, he is forever affirmed in exactly what he wanted. In fact, it's been said, the ones in history, the ones in history 
whom God has shown mercy on are the only ones who don't get what they want, right? From a human perspective, what you want is to be your own God. What you want is your own direction. What you want is your own way. What you want is not to worship somebody else. It's to worship yourself. What you wanted was to be a rebel. What you wanted to be was a usurper. What you wanted to be was one who ran from and was far from God. And God, in his mercy, dragged you by your ear to the cross and made you his child. And so, so the good news for you is, praise be to God, a good father who did not give you what you wanted. That's, that's the case of the elect. Now, then Pharaoh. Pharaoh gets exactly what he wants. But don't live under any, any delusion that it was not exactly what he wanted. God lifted himself up and Pharaoh, upon seeing the goodness of God, doubles down. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out from amongst them. So Moses and Aaron did this. They did just as the Lord commanded. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh tells you, perform a miracle, tell Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. It will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron, uh, Aaron went into Pharaoh and did just that, just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw, down, Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. But then Pharaoh called the wise men and the sorcerers, the magicians. Pharaoh was like, oh, your God's got tricks? Look at this. And Pharaoh calls his magicians. His magicians do the same thing, not by power like our God, but by, by actual tricks. The magicians of Egypt, and they also did the same thing. By their occult practices. Verse 12. Each one threw down his staff and it became a serpent. But Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. However, Pharaoh's heart was hard. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Here's, here's the thing. God displays his glory. The Pharaoh, upon looking at the glory, says, I don't want you. I want the glory. For myself. So we're going to continue through this as we read through Exodus. This is going to be the same. You're going to see this idea again and again. We've talked about this is that, that Exodus is written to the people to whom it's written. It's given to the people to whom it's given, and it's given to us to, to be the to be the uh, um, to be preparation, to help us to understand, to help us understand how God works in history and, and all of these things. And so you're going to see again and again and again these themes. But one of the th key themes you're going to see is this, is that the God of the universe will continually display his glory. He will continually uh, be lifted up. In fact, elsewhere in Scripture it says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto I will draw men, lift me up. In fact, what we do here as a church, why Crosswinds exists, we are lifter-uppers. That's what we do. We lift up God. We lift him up because we believe this, that when people see God lifted up, what will happen is people will be drawn onto him. And so what happens in Exodus is God is lifted up. 
like the sun shining in the sky. But the sun shines on butter and makes it soft. And the sun shines on clay and it makes it hard. The reality in this world is this. Is there is none who are seeking God, not a one. And yet, God in his mercy has said, some I'm going to pull back to myself. Right? And yet, in a human sense, I don't have a clue who those people are. Are. I don't know who they are. I'm not looking for a mark. I'm not asking around. I'm not saying, do you feel like clay or do you feel like butter today? Where are you going with that? I'm not doing that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to continue to preach the goodness and the glory of God that lifts him up. Just like God displayed his, his glory to Pharaoh, I'm going to declare the glories of the, of the great God of this book. And my expectation is, is that God in his goodness and God in his desire to rescue people, he is going to use his lifting up to snatch back rebels from the precipice of their own destruction and to put them into right relationship with him. Reality is, some people will see the glory of God and they'll decline it because they will feel like the glory of God impinges upon their own glory. That's a fact. But God in his mercy has chosen to rescue many when he had no compulsion, no responsibility, and no need to rescue any. So here's, here's the question from this passage for us. And this becomes the question both in the, in the ultimate sense and, and in a secondary sense. So in the ultimate sense is God is, has been declared lifted up to you this morning. We've, we've preached from Scripture, not my words, but I've read from, from Scripture. God's been depicted as lifted up in the book of Exodus. You've heard it this morning. If you're here and you do not yet know Jesus, the question is, will that lifting up soften you like butter and draw you, or will it harden you like clay? I pray that you might be softened. I pray that you might see God declared as lifted up, the good God who, has, who is in the business of rescuing people who are hell-bent on their own destruction. He's into rescuing them. I pray that you will be softened. And so if you're here this morning and you've heard God is lifted up, my prayer this morning is respond to him as Lord and God and King and respond to his glory and respond to his goodness. He wants to rescue. He wants to pull you back from the edge if he's speaking to you in that way this, this morning. We believe that and affirm that to be true, that whosoever will come can come. There's not one in all of human history who would ever want Jesus who will not receive the fullness in the goodness of Jesus. If you want him this morning, you can know him. He is declared as lifted up before you. Will his glory soften your heart like butter? Or will you hear God declared and you'll say, I hear that but I'd just rather do my own thing. I find in these, these discussions a lot of times I don't believe or I'm an atheist or I'm not sure. I find a lot of times I talk to people and one of the interesting things I discover is that usually, usually their desire to do their own thing precedes their lack of belief, right? And so I know people, I have friends who have left the church of, church of Jesus Christ. They grew up 
in it. They, they were around it. They heard it. But for, for some reason, they apparently never encountered the Lord Jesus Christ in a, in, a, in, a, in a saving way. And then they decide that they want to do something that is opposed to the, the truth of Scripture. They decide they want to live their life in a way that's opposed to the, to the truth of Scripture. And then, so it, it's a slow thing. They're like, well, I don't think, I don't think. And what I've noticed is that a lot of times what we want to do drives what we say we believe. Right? I want to live in this sin, so I am going to make the verbal claim that I don't believe that that God exists. I think rather you know exactly that that God exists, and yet you are choosing to live in rebellion against him. So then to you, I give you just this warning. Hear me today. That God is lifted up. You can be hardened like clay, but you are going to at some point hear the end of this book. And you're going to hear at some point the end of this Pharaoh. And you are going to at some point hear the end of all humankind who chooses that they would rather be hardened like clay than softened like butter. If you hear God declare to you today and you say, I don't believe or I this, my suggestion to you and my suspicion is probably your issue is not one of belief. It is of rebellion. And so then see he who is lifted up before you and decide. Secondarily, this is for those of us who follow Jesus. Don't you think that kind of in our walk with Jesus, this is sort of a daily thing too, right? Are there not mornings where you wake up and God shows you who he is. And some days it makes you soft and you follow him. And other days it makes you hard and you rebel against him. Right? What are we but great, <laughs> great terrestrial uh, uh, toddlers? Right? What is humankind to the God of the universe but just, just toddlers? And I say that because toddlers are, are interesting because I feel like, like one morning they wake up one way, the next morning they wake up the next way. Day, way. And I, I noticed toddlers, like one of my favorite things I saw online was, was toddlers crying for no particular reason. Uh, and if you've not seen that, Google it. It's, it's literally the greatest stuff ever. But like they're, they're, they're crying. Like one of them, one of them was like, been crying for six hours, doesn't want to go away, has been told we are going no place all day, right? Just crying. Because toddlers have these irrational sort of things. We're like, we're here, we're in, we're out. All that. I, I don't think maybe that there's a better, a better comparison to who we are in our humanity compared to who God is. is like, we're just toddlers, right? Because one moment we're like, yes, Jesus, I love you so much. I just want to walk with you. Hallelujah. Thank you for all you've done. And the next moment we're like, why, God? Why didn't you do this? I wanted this. Why won't you do this? Or more than that, why, God? Why won't you let me do this? I really wanted this. And so one minute, one minute we're, we're all in. And then the next minute, anytime God tells us that we can't do what we want to do, then we're like, oh, how dare we? That's called being a baby. Right? When you can't hear that what you want to do is something that you can't do, that's called being a baby. And that's us in relation to the great God of the universe all the time, right? And so for those of you who here believe, I would ask you this. Every day when you wake, God is going to be lifted up before you. I hope you roll out of bed. I hope that you pray. I hope you open the word. I hope you encounter. I hope you do personal worship. I hope you do all that. But when you encounter him, he's going to be lifted up and your decision in every moment of your day is going to be, will this lifting up of God's glory harden me like Pharaoh or will it soften me like his child? What are we going to do with it? That becomes 
the question. And that's what I'd like us to, to close on, to focus on, to meditate on. God is lifted up. Will you be hardened? Or will you be drawn?